Hi, I'm Olivia McCollins, and this is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. Our conversations and stories feature Boilermaker students, faculty and staff, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. In part one of this episode, we hear from Andrew Messicar, a biochemistry professor who, along with his colleagues, are combining their strengths to fight the current coronavirus pandemic. Messicar and his colleagues are extremely concerned about the gravity of this pandemic as they hope their research and that of other scientists around the world will provide solutions. We then visit with father and son team, Philip and Stuart Lau, who share the story of their startup. The two are working to create an injectable drug that targets bone fractures, specifically hip fractures in elderly patients, to speed the healing process. These two College of Science researchers share their love for science and how building the Purdue-affiliated company has enhanced their relationship as father and son. As the COVID-19 coronavirus worldwide pandemic continues, Purdue University scientists agree that control measures such as social distancing and quarantining are absolutely necessary while scientists take the time required to develop medical treatments. Purdue scientist Andrew Messicar, Purdue's Walther Professor in Cancer Structural Biology and Head of the Department of Biochemistry, and Arun Ghosh, the ENP Rothwell Distinguished Professor of Chemistry, have been working to develop both oral medicines and vaccines to fight COVID-19, and over time will be testing the effectiveness of their compounds. Any drug that is shown to work on the COVID-19 coronavirus will not be available quickly enough to help patients in the current outbreak but researchers hope that they can use their discoveries to mitigate future outbreaks. Messicar says he has been studying coronaviruses since the SARS coronavirus outbreak in 2003. You know, we developed compounds over the course of, you know, a number of years that would target the enzymes, the proteases, two proteases in the virus, the coronavirus that causes SARS. And we did, did really well. You know, we've got compounds that inhibit the virus in cell culture. We have also made compounds that, and we have an animal model that we developed with my collaborator, Dr. Susan Baker at Loyola University. So we've been working on that since 2003. We've never stopped. He adds that such research is truly vital because despite a global lack of consciousness about their existence, coronaviruses are all around us and in many forms. You know, I was doing the research and continuing it because of the fact that coronaviruses exist all around us. They've existed around us for centuries. This is not something that's new. Coronaviruses kill humans. They infect humans every year. Most of us, and probably you, Olivia, has been infected with a human coronavirus. It caused an upper respiratory infection, and you're fine. It could have been the NL63 coronavirus, the 229E coronavirus, the OC43 coronavirus, Those have all been around. There's HKU1 now that we've been identified. They have been in the population. They're in the population in the United States or in the population around the world. They just don't get attention. We haven't been monitoring for those, but they're around. So that's why they're important to study. Never did I expect, I mean, I I guess I should have, based upon what SARS did, that we would have a pandemic. Messicar is excited about his own research results showing effectiveness of a drug that had been developed for SARS. And while that work continues, he is also working on a vaccine. 
we're doing two things. So first SARS, we've, uh, which has you know, been gone for a number of years, we have what we call small molecule compounds or therapeutics that we would put into IV bags or into pill form. Our compounds that we had for SARS are working against COVID-19, all right, SARS-2 that causes COVID-19. So that's, that's where understanding the genetics are great because we saw how similar they are. We were able to choose the compounds right away that we thought would be able to work and they are working. And we're writing up papers on that right now. We've also been working on something called designed attenuated vaccines where we are trying to create a live virus in this case, but it's severely crippled so that you could give it to a patient and get a vaccine response. Messicar collaborates on this research with a team of scientists across the United States who make up the Center for Structural Genomics of Infectious Diseases, which is based at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. The center is funded by the National Institutes of Health. He is working to set up a rapid response system of scientists that could quickly develop drugs during future outbreaks caused by genetic variants of the coronavirus. The goal is to have a library of FDA-approved or almost-approved compounds that have been predetermined to work on specific coronaviruses so that when an outbreak appears, medicines can be produced and distributed quickly. He says he and his graduate students are working long hours in this effort. They're working seven days a week right now, taking shifts. That's what we're doing. We have compounds that have come in from two major pharmaceutical companies to test against our enzymes. We've gotten two contracts. This is it's serious stuff for us. Um, we're preparing accordingly. Yeah, I'd like to get things out fast, but yeah, my students know we would rather be right than first, because that's how we operate here. Philip Lau's passion for science began with his own father. He now shares that fascination with his son, Stuart. Well, I grew up in a scientific family. My father was a professor at Purdue. His name was Philip Lau also. And so I am not junior because we have different middle names, but I am the second Philip Lau to be a professor at Purdue University. And I grew up in a family where science was frequently discussed, and I became very interested in it. I, even as a kid, built rockets and all sorts of dangerous things that blew up my face at one time and encountered all sorts of opportunities to study things and so forth. I will say, though, my father encouraged me strongly to take all of the science I could in high school and college. And then then at the end, he allowed me to determine my own future career destinations and so forth. Let me just speak briefly on Stuart, if I can. Stuart grew up, I think, genetically inherited a love for science. When we'd turn on the TV, he didn't want, he'd never want to watch cartoons, but he wanted to watch nature shows. And he would go in and select those. And whereas, you know, most other kids would like to watch cartoons and simple things like this, Stuart was always interested in science. Just I think it was something that he inherited genetically and it wasn't really cultivated so much in the family as it was a natural response. Stu? Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Believe it or not, I grew up in a scientific household. (laughs) I learned, obviously, a lot of science from being at home and just being my father's son. 
The thing that I think was unique and special, though, was that my conversations growing up with my father really taught me how to think in a scientific way. The love for biology, the love for animals and things that grow and live has always been there. But I think that there were many times when we would be on a walk late at night and we'd talk about observations that we saw of the cosmos, maybe, or when we saw something unique in biology, maybe it was a disease on a plant leaf, my father would talk about it. And he talked also not just about the facts, but how to analyze and how we learn about all these different observations in nature. When Stuart was in high school, we were the first company that I started, Endocyte, was located out at the research park, and we arranged for him to have a summer internship there, a working opportunity. And he actually got involved in some very important science and in the process discovered some very important observations about how cancer cells influence the immune system. And I found that to be extremely interesting. He did too. And I think that influenced his subsequent career directions. I don't know. You can mind comment on that, Stu. Yeah, certainly. My time at Endocyte certainly did. It changed, well, back up a little bit. Ever since I was in about sixth grade, I had this idea that I wanted to be a virologist. And I got this from learning that you could use viruses for good. And I wanted to pursue this career path for a long time until college. And then during college, some classes made me change my mind and rethink what I wanted to do. And at that point, I started working at Endocyte over the summers and gained a real love for chemistry and for drug delivery and pharmaceutical chemists, if you will. You know, those experiences are really helpful because I even I remember going to Frambig Museum, which is a popular museum in Atlanta, learning about the biology of things in everyday situations, even just a walk in the park, how things work in nature. Now that you both are in academia uh, and have worked in the College of Science, Department of Chemistry, and in other areas, describe the moment or kind of moments that led up to you creating the startup, Navastio. So the basic fundamental idea that we have in Novostio is to help bone fractures heal faster. During graduate school, I worked on some technology that was related to this. We learned in graduate school that we could get drugs specifically to bone fractures, but we had not really developed this very far. And towards the end of graduate school, I came and had a visiting scholar kind of internship like opportunity in my father's lab. And together, we got some really great data. We collected some images that were fundamental to the success of this project, where we saw very specific localization of our drug to bone fractures. And what this means is that when we started working together, we found that we could administer drugs systemically, and it would go locally just to where a bone fracture is. And by doing so, we were able to then get enough drug to the bone in order to heal it. Towards the end of this time, this collaboration together, my father approached me and said, listen, we have some really amazing data. I think that we 
it has a lot of promise. Why don't we start a company together? And obviously, with his experience in biotech, I jumped on the idea. And we've had a great time ever since. Stewart coupled his work using technology to get drugs to bone fractures with his dad's lab expertise in targeting drugs to disease tissue, creating the startup Novastio. What's unique about our drug is that you can give it systemically. Like many other drugs, you take an aspirin or something, it goes throughout the body. And in the case of an aspirin, it will make it to all these different points of your body, but it won't really affect just one place. It will work on your brain, it will work on your knees. When we target a drug, which is what we've done, once it goes into your body, it goes very specifically to the site of disease. So our drug, after systemically administering it, giving it systemically, it goes very locally to a bone fracture. By doing so, we can give drugs that help bone fractures heal faster. And because they go specifically to a bone fracture rather than everywhere else, it doesn't affect healthy bone. It doesn't affect the bone anywhere else in your body. The other thing that it does is that it reduces side effects because it's not acting on all these other parts of your body. And because the side effects are low, we can give a high enough dose and a frequent enough dose that we're able to get a much stronger anabolic effect, bone growth effect in that bone fracture and make bone fractures heal much faster and much more efficiently. As we were working through, you know, who can this help? I was talking to actually my mother-in-law and she was telling me about a relative on that side of our family who broke her hip. You know, she was elderly. Her husband had died recently and she broke her hip. And the doctor put a couple of pins in her hip and said, good luck, basically. She went and lived with family to family, you know, went from one kid to another kid for a few years and eventually passed away because she wasn't able to move anymore very well. And this is a really common story. We hear about this all the time with hip fractures. The crazy thing about this story is that it was back in 1941. Okay, this was a great, great grandmother. Things haven't really changed that much. There have been slight improvements to bone hardware to help stabilize things a little bit better, but there really haven't been any pharmaceuticals that have made a big splash in helping people out with hip fractures and these other really serious osteoporotic fractures. And so our goal really is to give not just a mechanical stability type way of healing, that's what's already being done, but give a pharmaceutical, a biological approach to healing bone fractures. What have been some of the other challenges that you faced for you both? In addition to perfecting the science, there are a lot of tasks that require careful attention that if mismanaged would lead to not only failure of the business, but an inability to bring the technology to the benefit of humanity. And that includes designing the clinical trials, hiring someone to manage the business, raising the funding to run the clinical trials, which are very expensive, 
performing all of the preclinical experiments that the FDA requires before you introduce a new drug into humans for the first time. And all of these are processes that, if done poorly, will trigger failure of the science and the company. I, I totally agree with that. I think that the biggest obstacles have been probably some of the biggest growing points for me personally. When you're a small team, you do a lot of different things. You wear a lot of different hats. I came into this knowing a bit about science and knowing a little bit about the direction that we wanted to go. But we sometimes need to make business decisions. And that's something that I certainly didn't go to school for. I obviously understand some business concepts just from being around my father and seeing him grow businesses. But it has been a very big learning experience, understanding that and patenting strategy. These are all different areas that I've had to learn. I'm not an expert in them. And hopefully very soon we will have experts in each of these areas. I think, though, having a very, very small team has been one of the tough parts. But at the same time, uh, one of the greatest things for my personal progression. Working through these challenges can take a toll on personal relationships. For the Laos, however, scientific collaboration has strengthened the father-son bond and enhanced their appreciation for each other's talents and unique perspectives. I've been impressed with his thinking. I've grown to respect his drive and his motivation for making this company successful. I've had a good time. I've really had a great time. You have to remember at times where you are and not take things personally because we have to talk about business from a business point of view. That's a, a different way of approaching things that most people don't have to do in a family, but we do. And it was a little more difficult at first, I think, but I think that overall we've become very close through this opportunity to work together. I certainly know my father in a much different way. We have a lot of fun together. I mean, who gets to go to scientific conferences with someone in their family and sit next to them and listen to them lean over and say, this is some really cool technology. Imagine if you used it in this way. He's always coming up with fantastic ideas and is always able to guide me as far as what's the next hot thing in science. And having that opportunity to do that with my father has been really fantastic. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can route to your favorite podcast app, subscribe, and leave a review. As always, boiler up. Thank you.